This is The Rest is PR with Lyle Fulton and Jackie Balls. Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to The Rest is PR. My name, as it will always be, barring any incident at all, I'm sure, is Lyle Fulton. And I'm joined, as I know I always will be, as I have been for some time, and I will continue to be, by the wonderful Jackie Balls. Jackie, how are you? This fine. Wait for it, listeners. Tuesday morning. Now there is a reason for this, which we'll explain in due course. But how are you? How has your week been so far? It's only thirty-six hours old, but how has it been? Wow, it's so busy. Like I said on the podcast before, I can't even tell you how busy December is. It's just crazy, crazy busy. Madness. And you know the thing is, I was just working out. It really this year, Christmas is landing on a weekend anyway. You're only really looking at maybe having one or two days out of your normal working week so what's all the fuss about people yeah. <laughs> we even said before we went live didn't we I mean it's, it's a really strange one and we don't want to sort of put a dampener on this episode before we get going because there's plenty <laughs> of sort of dampeners to come listeners be ready for those but we were saying before we went live I mean I love Christmas I'm a massive massive I'm a Christmas fanatic I, I go mad for Christmas every year even as a 30 year old now and I still go cra- as crazy as I used to when I was sort of you know six seven eight years old but we were saying weren't we Jackie just that kind of festive feeling mm. it hasn't caught yet because of just what's going on in the world but also just like just how busy the month has been and the weather's mm. not been all that brilliant I mean this time last year I think we had snow we'd certainly had ice we had sort of more festive conditions I mean are you feeling that you're getting that sense it's not just it's really not ramped up just yet festively I really think like the holiday period as a whole with everybody I speak to, whether they're Christian or whether they're, you know, of different faiths and 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 dispositions or completely agnostic of anything that pagans, and I do know a few pagans actually, everybody feels a bit guilty about feeling festive this year. Yeah. Mm. Um, because of everything that's just going on I spoke to a journalist I really respect this morning and he just said I'm a news junkie and even I'm finding it hard to turn on the news at the moment because I'm finding it really difficult to wrap my head around everything that's going on yeah I thought wow you know I'm not alone you know we have to as part of our jobs follow the news follow what's going on in, in trends and world events and everything else but you know if, if it's starting to get to us can you imagine what it's like for other people who are really badly affected yeah I'm really hard up at you know the, exactly yeah really hard up at this time of Christmas you know sort of be it their own personal situations or indeed yeah what's going on around the world and obviously we haven't addressed you know, sort of too specifically certain things that are going on in the world right now, because you know, they can be quite incendiary and can be quite divisive. And in due course, we may well sort of speak about what's going on across the world. But obviously, yeah, our thoughts are always with, you know, people who are affected by what's going on, particularly at Christmas and, you know, during the holiday season when it's supposed to be about warmth and love and sharing and giving and, and all that sort of thing. And, and yeah, obviously, our thoughts are also with everyone affected by by the situations that are going on around the world at the moment. But just going back to how busy December is as well, and just going back. Well, to I just how want busy. to say one point on that actually. Yeah, on. yeah, of course. And it, I think it's something that we'll address when because we've got a few podcasts planned over this this holiday period. Definitely, we'll probably address this in one that's coming up. But I would just urge people to not believe everything they read or yes. see in social media, and not fall prey to the propaganda in sometimes the most trusted of beacons of of news that we have and I'm I'm starting to see an awful lot of moral bias 
yeah. or immoral, immoral, depending on the way you see it. A lot of bias yeah. coming out in some reportage at the moment. And it's, I find it all quite disturbing. So yeah. just read up, make, come to your own conclusions, people. Don't just believe the most obvious sources of information. Be an appropriately sceptical Christmas elf that delivers joy <laughs> and scepticism in equal measure. That's that's what our message is here. That's what our Christmas message is. But yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And one such thing, I mean, before we get onto this, actually, I'd planned a segue. And so I'm going to try and journey through my segue here. Listeners of last week's episode will fondly remember that there was a bit of vague delivery of a particular gig I had that night after the recording <laughs> in central London that it was rumoured would be attended by a rather famous individual. I can now exclusively reveal here on the SPR that the individual in question that Jackie and I both knew of, and obviously I'm sure hopefully lots of our listeners will know of, um, but Jackie knew it was this person at the time of recording, was in fact Lord Andrew Lloyd Webber, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, it was his company that was organising a Christmas party, the really useful group, and there were strong rumours that Andrew Lloyd Webber was going to be there. I'd spoken to my friends, and actually this is a, there's so many reasons why this is a brilliant segue. I'd spoken to all my friends about how exciting this was privately. I'd said how great this was going to be for me on a personal level. What an exciting opportunity. I'd spoken to Jackie. I'd spoken to people at Demozo, my wife Alice, my family. I said Andrew Lloyd Webber's going to be there. And really broadcast it elsewhere, but spoken to a close-knit group of people. Andrew Lloyd Webber did not attend. Andrew Lloyd Webber was not at his company's Christmas party. I did not sing in front of Andrew Lloyd Webber. It was very low-key. It was all a bit of a shame. I came home with not a sense of regret because obviously the gig went very, very well, but he was not there. Mm. Andrew Lloyd Webber in that moment, boo indeed. And in fact, that's very, very appropriate. Andrew Lloyd Webber disappointed me that night. Speaking of people who've disappointed me in the last week, we're going to talk this week, listeners, about a lady by the name of Michelle Moan. Now, the reason I said that that segue and that analogy works in lots of different ways is I'm fairly certain, and maybe this is just my own, again, appropriately sceptical, possibly slightly cynical take. I'm fairly certain that Michelle Moan privately, a couple of years ago, also said to her friends how exciting this was going to be for her, that she stood to profit from, as we now know, listeners, PPE contracts signed by her husband, Doug Barrowman. Shall we, shall, we, shall we set out? Let's set the scene, shall we? You're you'll you'll do this better than me, Jackie. You set the scene of this Michelle Moan Let's okay. call it a fiasco, early doors. And then let's who is Michelle Moan? So, Go Michelle Moan came to, to fame through her underwear brand, through her underwear company. And she was a, an entrepreneur, beautiful looking woman. If I did, you know, she's got all of the blonde, flowing locks, stunning looking lady, and also an incredibly recognized and successful businesswoman. Mm. for this lingerie company that she had and she is married to another very successful entrepreneur Mr Barrowman and together they are a bit of a sort of power force and they they're known for all of their say their spreads in hello magazine and okay and all those sorts of things and she's then David Cameron as he was leaving his post as prime minister all those years ago nominated her for the House of Lords. And so she became Baroness Moan. And when you're a Baroness, when you serve in the House of Lords in the English government, you have, you're a civil servant. You are a servant to all of us. You have a public office, mm -hmm. which 
and you you pledge with that public office, you take an oath and you swear and you sign up to all of the very strict regulations that go with being in such an important position. So moving forward to current day. No, let's move forward to when the pandemic hit. Yes. When the pandemic hit, one of the first things that struck us, and probably a bit too late because we've had fair warning, but that struck the United Kingdom was the lack of PPE that we had. We had no PPE. We had no gowns. We had no masks. We had nothing. We had prisoners making PPE in prisons, sewing masks. We had everybody raiding different types of um, surgical stuff. Vets uh, were giving PPE to the NHS. There was no PPE. It was a real crisis. So Michelle Moan, Baroness Moan now, picked up the phone to Michael Gove, and I forget what position he held in the cabinet at the time, but she had a hotline through to the government, and she said, hey, Mr Gove, in the government, my husband can access PPE suppliers for you. We can get ahead of the queue. And you've got to remember here, everybody, that at the time, countries were scrabbling we weren't alone. You know, France was trying to find PPE. Germany was trying to find PPE. Everybody, every country in the world was desperate for PPE. And so the idea that this woman could suddenly provide a supply of PPE to Michael Gove was like, well, hey, let's go for this. This is a great solution to our problem. And so she put him in touch with her husband, Mr. Barrowman, and he created a consortium of suppliers and did, I think it was a £250 million deal with the government. Yeah, 200 to £250 million. Yeah, yeah that was okay. it. Yeah. So yeah. it was a big deal yeah. with this consortium to supply PPE to the NHS. Moving forward to this day, there are a number of things going on. Number one is a court case against Mr Barrowman's consortium for the quality of the PPE they supplied. It wasn't fit for purpose. So there's a big question mark over that. The second thing, which has just come into the news, is the fact that Michelle Moan and him and their family have been seen to profit mm. from this deal that she put together with the government. So the profit that Doug Barrowman, I think it's Doug Barrowman, Mr. Barrowman, yeah. Doug Barrowman made was £60 million worth of profit that he has said he's put into trust for his family. Mm. Sure. So with all that in mind, there's been lots of rumours, there's been lots of tabloid headlines about the fact that Michelle Moan has used her position to create a great mountain of profit for her family. Mm. And she, up until this time, has denied that. She's denied it to the press. She said she's had nothing to do with it. She's totally innocent. Then, on Sunday morning, there came a BBC politics show, which is hosted by Laura Koonsberg, an excellent political journalist. And she announced on this breakfast show, and I was watching it because I love this particular show. It's a great show. That Baroness Moan and her husband were coming to do an exclusive interview with her to talk about and give her the facts about this PPE story. So they did actually come on the show. And you've seen this show as well, haven't you, Lyle? I have. I have. Now, this H is really... Hence my wry smile. 
this is really interesting. This interview was akin to the Prince Andrew, Emily Maitlis interview where she literally exposed him for what most people have come to the conclusion of his real self as being. Mm -hmm. Laura Kuntzberg, I have to say, it's one of the most elegant and excellent interviews I have seen for a long, long time. She's a very understated interviewer. She doesn't go at somebody like Piers Morgan does or Andrew Neil. She doesn't really try to tear them down. She kind of leads her interviewee down this very comfortable path of expression and self-revelation. And it was just a beautiful, beautiful interview. There are two things that I want to talk about today, and I'm sure you've got other things you want to talk about as well. But my key takeaways from this interview were, number one, like we said with the Prince Andrew interview, what on earth were they thinking to do this interview? Where she admitted that she'd lied about being involved, where she admitted that her husband had made all this profit, where they admitted together that that profit was in an offshore trust and where she said very, I, I don't know how the, how, what word to describe her with, but she seems to be completely out of touch. It's murky, or, isn't it? It's really murky. Unempathetic to what people would be feeling about anybody who profited from the pandemic. It's completely out of touch. She's oh. like, it, her attitude was the attitude came across of somebody who was like bigger than this, that this was just a business deal, that it was just a transaction that she helped put together, but she was not benefiting from, that she hadn't done anything criminal by lying to the press. She done that wasn't a crime, so she shouldn't feel guilty for it. She was just trying to protect her family, and that she still says. She, she repeated it hundreds of times in the interview that she does not stand to benefit from the money that they, as a family, made out of this deal. And that's now. when Koonsberg darted in, isn't it? Because Koonsberg darted in and went, but OK, let's, let's throw some hypotheticals at you. If, say for the sake of argument, and then Michelle Moan responded in kind, immediately after this interview, you and Mr. Barrowman separate, will you benefit? Yes. If, for any horrible reason or otherwise mr barrowman in the not so distant future sadly passes on will you and your family benefit yes were you aware of both of these things when this transaction happened well, well, well no no were you but yes and i think what we're coming across here is and we're going to do in an episode like you quite rightly pointed out at the beginning of this episode we're going to do an episode over the festive period roundups of previous episodes of this year and for me um, an episode that sticks out in reference to this, and I don't want to sort of jump the gun on an episode that's coming up, is the Schofield episode we did, the Schofield interview episode. And we haven't done one on Andrew because I think that was slightly before we we got going on this. Or we may have kind of included the Andrew interview in a previous episode. But this sounds like a very base kind of umbrella term to use. There are ways to lie. Or there are ways to do this, right? There are ways to do this, okay? Now, and the reason I say that, that might sound like a really extreme thing to say, but Philip Schofield lied. Right, Philip Schofield lied to people behind the scenes at ITV. Right, Philip Schofield lied to people. He hid things. He portrayed this image. And then it became clear when things were released and things got leaked and things came to light that he had lied and he'd hidden things. His interview was that of a man who knew he'd messed up and owned it and 
it was his people we said at the time however murky what he did was his people did a brilliant job of possibly listening to him and saying this is actually what I want to do and I want to own it and I want to own up to it and I want to empathize with the person I've affected the most which was the person in question but then I also want to you know I feel horrendously sorry for everyone on ITV for the people I've hurt but bum 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 anyway we've been through that Andrew and Moan the ironically named Moan Michelle Moan didn't do any of that there was absolutely that it was blustering in its defense, in their defense of what they've done. And we said before we went live, this idea that it's not a crime, in my opinion, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's criminally prosecutable, if it's been deemed a crime by the authorities or not. The lack of empathy, the lack of understanding, and like you quite rightly say, this is someone who's supposed to represent people. She's supposed to represent, she's arguably supposed to be a role model for people to prove that you can go from being an entrepreneur, a woman in business, an entrepreneur, and you can make moves and work hard enough to become a peer, right? And let's discuss yeah. the relative, you know, merits of peerages when it comes to prime ministers resigning and what have you anyway. Because, I mean, there's still a lot of murkiness about, you know, certain Boris Johnson recommendations to peerages and Nadine Dorries, you know, sort of, you know, not getting hers yet, but wondering whether she will and blah, 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 blah. All of this rubbish. Let's get rid of that for a second. She's supposed to have been a role model. She's supposed to have represented people when you assume a position in the Lords. And she said, oh, I don't see that I've done anything wrong. And I took huge issue, and you're going to sure come in on this as well, and come in on the you know, sort of the how she's been advised, which I think is absolutely right that we we kind of labour on that for certain. But when she turned around and said, oh, I was just trying to protect my family from the media, it's back, A, it's backfired massively because you lied. The second you lied to the media, you know, and then they find out you're a lamb for the slaughter but she clarified that she was protecting her family from the media only after saying i'm protecting my family there are people out there as we said right at the top of the episode who are literally and i don't want to make this extreme comparison but it's just something that's been on my mind there are people out there in a variety of different ways literally protecting their families literally protecting their families from people and things and dangers and atrocities right Protecting my family by putting 60 million away with my husband is about the most tone deaf thing in today's environment I think I've heard all year. And I thought I thought we were really close to sort of, you know, having to look back through the year at the most tone deaf thing you've ever heard. And we are 12 days from the end of it and we have a winner. It, it Honestly, it was extraordinary. I mean, you're going to sort of talk a little bit about how on earth people must have thought this was a good idea. I mean, I can't well, think of one, you know. The first thing is we do have to remember that at that time, everybody was desperate. So at that time, it was a desperate time. So I don't blame our government for going straight to the source of the suppliers and saying, yep, yeah. yeah, ship in that PPE. But here's the thing that really rankles with me. You have people of great wealth putting together this deal. They're already wealthy. They're already incredibly successful. And you put that and you mirror that with a lot of poor people. You know, I know even that my my upholstery school was stitching aprons. They were putting together, they were prisoners stitching masks. People, normal people, everyday people were trying to create bits of barrier cloth to help people protect themselves from this virus. Yeah. And so you you sort of 
contextualize that with these very wealthy people, multimillionaires, putting together a deal to get the supply of PPE to the government. And you would think, you would think that they might at least consider doing a not-for-profit deal with the government. You yeah. might think that they would consider just doing it maybe for a 5% margin or a 10%, whatever, but a 1%, half a percent on a 250 million deal. And then you might think that when they looked at that great big lump of profit that came through, that 60 million, that unconceivable sum mm. of funding, that they might think, wow, there are a lot of people that lost their loved ones. There are a lot of people who lost the fathers, the mothers that bring money in. There are lots of orphans. There are lots of people that have significantly been affected by this yeah. virus, by this pandemic. Let's see how we can put that money to good use to help those people. Not one of those things even occurred to them, this baroness of our state. She didn't even think at the beginning of putting together this process, the beginning of taking advantage of all of her connections, because that's what she said. Mm. Why am I bad? I just used my connections. Uh. Well, great. Use your connections for good. Yeah. Don't use your connections to profit from the deaths and the uh. suffering of millions of people. Yeah, That's what really gets my goat. She's put in the House of Lords to help us, to advise us, to steer us, to steer policy, to steer law, to steer regulation. Mm. And she cannot think beyond her own benefit. Incredible. She was never doing that to help no. everybody with her connections. She did that to go, oh, Doug, guess what? We can yeah. make a really good deal. You can go and talk to all of our friends and make some money out of this baby. Yeah. So they went off on a gravy train. They knew it. And there were a lot of it. other people that did a very similar thing. We saw companies spring up out of nowhere selling hand sanitizer. You yeah. know, there will always always be the carpet baggers. There will always be the profiteers that come and take out of tragedy. Yeah. Not only do I want her to be held fully to account, I want her to really think about all the suffering that went on when she was happily thinking about merrily making her money and putting a dash in the bank for when she wants to benefit from it. Because that's what it is. It's yeah. for when they decide they benefit from it. Absolutely so right. not only did she get on the television and go, I just made this thing happen because of my connections. She just totally had no empathy for the scenario and the scene that, that was had unfolded before her, that she actually saw and experienced as she was in government, not in government, but in the House of Lords. I just, to me, it just, honestly, her lack of empathy and her narcissism, because that, I think what she showed us was the true, the truest picture of a narcissist. And Laura Kunzberg, her interview so elegantly exposed this narcissism of these very wealthy people who have no idea what being on the breadline, what poverty, what what helping people is all about. So that's one thing. That's yeah. the one thing. 
the, the second... look she gave her the looks by the way just to interject the look she gave her when she said oh, I, I i don't think there's a case to answer i don't see how i've done anything wrong laura kingsburg so usually quite unflappable and quite demure in her approach just kind of went and to our to our yeah. listeners who aren't watching on youtube the face i just made is just one of utter disbelief think that yeah. gif of that guy who goes sort of flutters his eyelashes she just sort of went yeah what she was so stunned she she was blown away by the fact that she had like this person she probably thought this is juicy yeah this is this is gold how it was it was akin to the mateless interview with Prince Andrew where he went oh I don't sweat so it can't possibly have been me and mateless went what beg your pardon you know it's just like you know I was in pizza express or whatever he said anyway your second thing which I think comes to the advice the second thing was she said we just listened to our advisors well who are these advisors? Because please come out of the woodwork and show yourselves. Because if you think that was good advice, then you've got another thing coming. Info at the SSPR.com. We would love to hear from you. I <laughs> am chomping at the bit to hear what you had to say to Messrs. Barrowman and Moan before they went on the Coonsberg show. <laughs> them to go on the BBC with Laura Koonsberg and think that they could put the world to rights by telling their truth. It's just the whole thing was just shocking. The, the, from it, I'm sorry, I'm I'm just now I, I've worked myself <laughs> into a sense of speechlessness. No, no, that's okay though. That's perfect. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, it, for me, it was what you said is absolutely right. And actually, I don't think I again, we're going to look back on, on this year and, and podcast gone by, but I actually don't think I've been as passionate about something I've watched in, in a long, long time and, you know, sort of seeing it in fits and starts and then having watched the interview. I mean, the entitlement, the even the body language, the kind of the backs up, oh, you know, we're doing you a favour by being here and telling our truth, the approach they took, their angle, you're absolutely right. From a purely socio-political perspective just from a social human perspective what riles me most is the fact that they and she in particular is the embodiment they are and she is the the embodiment of the people who were just waiting for it to happen there are there were people in this world who we now know and if we weren't sure before we know now were waiting in the wings and the second something started fluttering away slightly ominously in that Chinese province all those years, two, three years ago, they went, hang on a minute, let's keep an eye on that. That could be money. That could be money. And we'll hide ourselves away in these bunkers and we're in our 30s, 40s, 50s, so we'll be fine, right? And we, you know, we'll we'll keep, we'll give everyone because we're very, very wealthy. We'll give everyone the best protection and we'll get them the vaccines first and we'll get them the medication first and we'll make a ton of money out of literally millions of people dying across the world out of something that we couldn't control is just extraordinary and they embody that from a british perspective that's the first thing but their angle baffled me it, the the angle now they might argue and they might come to the conclusion and if they were on this podcast they might defend themselves thusly they might say well what did you expect us to do what to just go on the coonsberg show and turn around and go well really sorry we're going to give all the money back because we're living in cloud cookie land if that was ever what they were going to do but i said from the perspective of themselves, or what did you expect us to do? Michelle, what did you expect going on there? Because since that's been aired, it's just been vitriol. 
Carnage. Personified. It's been Carnage. And she's since gone on record. I say on record, she's gone on X and had a bit of a go at Gove and had a bit of a go at Sunak saying they knew all along. As if that's meant to matter and that's meant to help. Like, it's akin to, you know, the school bully in the playground, you know, having a bit of a go at one of the kids in the playground and getting caught and then turning around to his mates and going, they knew all along. Sorry, mate, you're still going to get in trouble for having a bit of a go. It doesn't matter if other people knew. That just means they're also going to get in trouble. And you know what? Good. I hope they do. You know, if they knew that this was what was happening. But the whole angle of, I was just trying to upset my family. Sunak and Gove knew all along. You you said it which you, you you said so, so eloquently, really people protecting their family at this time when yeah. we see people trying to protect their family from, you know, bombs and terror. Yeah. You know, and she said, she said that her motivation for getting on a BBC television programme to tell their truth was because of all the harm and the, torture that there had been that they had they had been going through from the British media man up princess man up yeah because if you can't cope with a bit of uh, you know paper words (laughs) that are pointing the finger quite rightly at you well then don't do the don't do the crime yeah also is anything they're saying I don't want to stick the oar in too far is anything they're saying saying not true yeah, is anything they're saying not true? No, it's not true. And also protecting their family, right? Our press can sometimes be, you know, somewhat offensive. Not offensive is the wrong word, but I, I use offensive in the sort of offensive defensive. They right? They, right? They go, they go on the attack, right? Occasionally, right? They can be quite horrible. Don't get me wrong, right? But our British press, as of right now, right, protecting her family, protecting her and her husband's family, right? No one's blaming the kids. The kids didn't turn around one morning and go, mommy, daddy, are we going to make any money from selling all that personal protective equipment to the government? Of course they blooming didn't. No. <laughs> right? so, so the papers aren't going, oh, and the children were in on it this entire time. Protecting my family, my behind. That's total <laughs> rubbish, right? You lied to the media because you wanted to protect yourself. You total snake. Right? She's a snake, isn't you had she? absolutely, and I, I don't want to be this person who, who lumps in, but I'm gonna because I feel really passionate about this, right? If you think for a second, given what we said right at the beginning of the episode about how there is now a healthy skepticism developing amongst the global population about where we get our news and how we receive our news, if you think for a second we are gonna believe that you lied to the media about the millions you stood to earn from this contract because you wanted to protect your family, then I feel sorry for you because. You're living in another dimension. I don't believe you for a second. You lied because you're an already wealthy person who is going to get more wealthy based on a tragedy and you knew it was going to reflect badly on you and you lied to people about it. Rubbish. Protect my family. Nonsense. Anyway, that's probably about as ridiculously incendiary I've been. Do you know what, Lyle? We are reacting as you would expect people Mm. to react from a thing like that from a show like that. We are we are doing a natural logical reaction. And that's what we do when we media train people. We prepare them for the reaction of their words. So we prepare them for the consequences of what they say. Good PRs and good communications representatives should interrogate what their objectives are. You should always set your objective to having a, a, a media interview. You should always know why you want to do the interview, what your message is and what you expect the outcome to be. And if you don't expect a positive outcome, 
you need to question whether you're going to do the interview at all. Now, what they were trying to do, and I've seen this work in many different ways, was use the press as a messenger for them. Now, the press is a messenger, but the press is also a reporter. So the press almost has this kind of like, you know, middle man kind of responsibility and role. You know, yes, they are a messenger. They, we, PRs, help companies and people get their products, get their messages across to the, the public via the press. Yeah. Press is a messenger, but the press is also a reporter and press like the show that Laura Kunzberg does or the, the Sunday Times for like Caroline Wheeler, who's been on the podcast with us. You know, they see it as a responsibility to report on stories accurately and, you know, to a certain extent, expose the full you know, the full truth of the matter, the way they can see it. Now, we talked about propaganda and spin and all sorts of things. But when you're in a live interview, when you say, no edit, just do this live. Thank God so far we haven't got all this deep fake technology yet. That should be the, the greatest opportunity for you to say, say your truth, to not be edited, to represent yourself. But you have to be damn sure that what you're saying will land the way you want it to land. Otherwise, you know, what you stand to gain might just trip you up, which is exactly what has happened with Michelle Moan. So I don't know who was advising her. Now, this takes me back to Harry and Meghan and these kind of things. Narcissistic people, people who think that they are above everybody else, fail miserably when it comes to taking constructive criticism. Mm. They surround themselves with yes men. They surround themselves with people who puff them up with their own sense of importance. And more importantly, they surround themselves with the legal people as well. Yeah. Who tell them where they are crossing the legal line. Now, when I was watching Michelle Moan and her husband on this show, you could almost hear the lawyer in the background talking to them about what they had done, what was what was legally allowable what the legal definitions of benefiting from, the words benefiting from, you know, has she benefited from that money now? No, no, she has not benefited from that money now. So can she say she has not benefited from that money? Yes, she can yes. say. Legally, yes. Do we believe that that is the case? No. No. Because we know down the line she will benefit from that money. And that's the way that's the way that Laura Kunzberg was so elegant in the way she was interviewing yeah. her that that all sort of came out so beautifully. Yeah. So while Michelle Moan and her husband were hiding behind this sort of, well, legally we're totally in the air, we're, we have nothing to answer for, nobody could come at us legally. No, okay, maybe they can't. I mean, there is a separate case going on with the quality of the the deal of the yeah, you know yeah. the of the PPE that they supplied, but that's the case about the product. Yeah. But when it comes down to what what they've done, she is sitting there saying, "No, no flies on me. Can't get me for anything legally. I'm covered. I'm cool. And all of my advisors are telling me that. So, you know, I don't see. And she actually said this. I don't see. I've got anything to answer for." I don't see I've got anything to apologise for. She's morally and ethically bankrupt. Mm. That's what she has to answer for. And and, and I hate piling in. I do. You know yeah. I say that all the no, time. No, no, same. I hate piling in. You know, 
but and 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 I would hate it if something awful happened to her. If she if got too much fur and she did herself some harm, I would absolutely hate that. This and I'd probably say to you, Lyle, let's sort of look, can this episode. Yeah, or, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Or would I? Yeah. Because honestly, she needs somebody to to talk some sense into her yeah. to bring her back to reality. What is that woman thinking? Yeah, what it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. And to be honest, I mean morally and ethically bankrupt is a great great phrase to use because i mean the irony is is that she's the complete opposite of bankrupt economically you know because of you know what they stand to gain from this and we haven't even discussed the ins and outs quite literally of how murky it is that and this is why there is a case to answer potentially and the prime minister has mentioned that they're looking into the legality of it and they take these cases very seriously obviously that means as we know, and this is my healthy scepticism, in all likelihood, nothing will happen. But the idea that she recommended this company to the government at a time of great crisis and then gained something from that recommendation and the relative legalities of that, because there is potentially a case to answer about whether or not it is ethically okay well, that's to what she... gain... Yeah, you. that's what she's focusing on now. That's why she's doing all her Twitter rants because somebody has pointed out to her that you need to declare your interests to the House of Lords if you are going to benefit from something that you are proposing mm. or brokering or yeah. being involved in. That there are very strict laws that you sign up to when you join the House of Lords. Mm. And that's something that Laura said in her interview did you not know that you are supposed to, you know, you're supposed to to, uh, to act according to this code of conduct? Mm. And she then sort of got a bit woolly and she said, well, the cabinet knew and everybody knew. And no, I didn't know. But you did know because you signed up to that and you pledged an oath to that. So you did know. Well, it. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. But everybody knew and it was a time of great crisis and a time of panic. And so she's opposite, opposite I can never say obsessed. Educating <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Don't cut that because it is quite funny. Um, <laughs> that O word and trying to sort of, sort of get out of that murky, specific mm. bit of detail. And now that she's now, what she's trying to do is just hone in on that. All of her Twitter Twitter rants. What's escaping her is just the moral, the mor moral side of this, the yeah. ethical side of this which is don't profit from people's pain. She has absolutely no idea how it looks. She's digging herself an even deeper hole. And she is clearly the sort of person, I'm just trying to say this as sensitively and as neutrally as I can. She's clearly the sort of person, of which there are many, and we've discussed a few of them on the podcast, who doesn't have any trouble sleeping at night when it comes to how this, in our opinion, should feel to her. Right. Yeah. I've made that decision. We did that deal. It will, in the fullness of time, benefit us in some way. What's wrong with that? And it's that moral and ethical bankruptcy that you talk about. And it's quite extraordinary. And um, meanwhile, she economically and her family economically profits um, in ways we can only really dream of and imagine. Although I, I would like to say, actually, just as we bring this episode to a close, I think I can say quite comfortably that I'd sooner have a fiver in my account and know that I'd earn that fiver doing something just and fair than have 60 or million quid in my account and know that I'd done something while not criminal 
very morally sort of murky and a bit dirty and um and that's just my take on it as we bring this episode to a close she's digging herself a hole continually and what she doesn't seem to realize is that her peerage may well be under threat her something i imagine she in her social circles holds very dear to herself her uh, title of baroness is under threat because what she's doing is inadvertently having a political consequence It would appear, and I was listening to something earlier on this morning before we went live, that, um, shocker, certain incumbent politicians were blissfully unaware of just how important this was to the electorate. And the fact that um, certain members of the electorate, large proportions of the electorate in this country have gone, that's really murky. That's another reason we don't like you. And all of a sudden, it's like really important to them that they clear this up and they make it, you know, all go away again. And, it, it you know, we, we did everything above board. It's becoming very murky for Sunak. He was involved, obviously, because at the time he was, he was Chancellor of the Exchequer. He was in charge of paying them the money that then led to that transaction of some slightly duff equipment, personal protective equipment in the end. Michael Gove was, I think, the minister for the cabinet office at the time or a levelling up minister, something like that. I mean, he had so many different people, had so many different jobs during COVID. It was quite ridiculous. But, you know, it's not reflecting very well on the Conservative Party. And we are 12 months away from going to the polls. And um, this is something well, that they no, probably... I reckon it's happening in May. It might even happen sooner. So, you know, this is um, sooner for Sunak. Um, so, you know, and some might say the sooner for Sunak the better but that's 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 not my take we're a neutral podcast but let us know listeners i mean we are we are you know we are really really keen to hear from people who just have a have an opinion on this you know i, I want to talk to people about this you know till i go blue in the face i think it's you know and unjust and unfair that she even has right what reply can learn from this what can yeah. people learn from this yeah i mean it's pretty obvious don't mm. do crappy things yeah don't, don't profit from people's pain yeah the second thing is just really think about the consequences mm. of your of your words, of your actions, of what of what you say. You have hopefully got quite a lot of people around you that can help you shape your message or shape mm. what you're going to do as a company. And we come back to saying this time and time again: your vision, your mission, your mm. values. And isn't it interesting that we don't see any sort of company values coming out of this particular consortium? No. You know. Those things do matter. Yeah. A lot of people think, what, you know, I'm just a small business. What, you know, why no. should I have values? Why should I have a mission? Well, this this is why you should. You know, are you doing good? Are you are you having do you have a good business? Because ultimately that not only comes to bite you if you've got a bad business, but it protects you when you've got it, when you when you're up against it. Absolutely right. Doing for good actually does come to protect you. So, you know. It's just a mind-blowing, extraordinary chain of events. But I think we can all learn something from it. What an incredible example of a bit of a nightmare when it comes to PR, uh, personal PR and comms. And uh, one final word for Laura Koonsberg, brilliantly executed interview. And if nothing else, one of my key takeaways will just be that look you delivered when she said, <laughs> I don't have a case to answer. I think that might be one of my favourite moments of television from 2023. Yeah, we'll meme it. Maybe we'll meme it for this episode. We'll like find a way of like memeing. What, you're telling me you haven't listened to the rest of PR before? We should put that on our social media when we're telling people about this podcast. We should have Laura's face. Laura's face. Social media when we do that. We'll get in touch with her people, I'm sure, because I'd love to have her on the podcast anyway. And I'm sure she'll be absolutely okay with it because it was an iconic moment. But listeners, 
if you've been pulling that face, let us know. I'd love to hear from you. I mean, I certainly have at least a few times in this uh, in this episode. But thank you so much for joining us on the latest episode of The Rest is PR. A few quick T's and C's before we let you go. As ever, even though we are now embarking on Series 2, very, very exciting as we head into 2024, the way you can contact us remains the same. You can get in touch with us via email, info at therestispr.com or info at demozo.com. And you can head to both of those websites as well for all things Demozo and The Rest is PR. You can also follow us on X, formerly Twitter, which I believe is now how you're supposed to say it, X, formerly Twitter, at The Rest is PR, capital T, capital R, capital I, capital PR. And you can also message Jackie or myself via LinkedIn as well. We will answer all messages on that platform. Jackie Bores, Lyle Fulton, give us a follow, drop us a message. Jackie. I was going to say same time next week, but I feel like our listeners are pretty clued up now. The magic of podcasting. Same time next time. <laughs> Seeing that next time is probably going to follow on now. In about 30 <laughs> seconds, once we've changed clothes. Um, thank you so much. Yeah, I look forward to that. I cannot wait for a bit of a look back over 2023. But in the meantime, thanks so much, listeners, for taking in this latest episode of The Recipe Here. From Jackie and myself, take care of yourselves. It's bye for now. Bye.